Don't you love spring? You know what that means? It's baseball season. Right? So you go to a Nats game, you know what you're going to see this year? Check it out. Look what's coming. That is, that is so perfect. So what you have to know about this picture is we're at this time of the two churches combining and we want you to have a chance to get to know the elders from all the churches. And you may not know the elders from our church here. So it's a well-kept secret that on our website, there are videos introducing you to all each one of the elders, both in Sojourn Church and our church. If you go to the new here a button and then down to joining with Sojourn, you can, you can click on the link to videos introducing elders and you can play the little game to try to find where that picture is in one of these videos because Gary Helms made the videos and there are secret hilarious moments in, in, in these videos. So that, that comes out of one of those videos. So Gary, thank you for your work with that. Okay, now on to something far, of far more eternal weight and significance. It is, um, we're coming into to Holy Week, to the week when we remember the triumphal entry as we're going to do today and uh, the passion and suffering of our Lord, his uh, death on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And this morning's passage is John 12, verses 12 to 16. We're taking a two-week break from our series in 2 Corinthians to uh, focus on, on, on these events. And Odette Carrillo is going to read our passage for us this morning. So please tune your hearts to hear God's word to us. Thanks, Odette. Good morning. So today's passage, just to remind you, is John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a, donkey, on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Thanks, Odette. Let's pray. Oh God, we quiet our hearts now before you. We have gathered here as, as together as we can in these circumstances on the Lord's day. And we are being addressed by you now. Oh God, not one of us here has the guarantee of another Sunday on earth, but we have today and we appeal to you, God, grant us ears to hear the announcement of Jesus as King. God, would you give us a fresh sighting of Jesus as King? Holy Spirit, would you exalt King Jesus before us here this morning and by your powerful work would you conform us to his image and enable us to follow him in his kingdom this week we pray 
In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've mentioned, this is the passage that's often referred to as the triumphal entry. Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem to the praise of a great crowd. Now, I've had a question that has stuck with me over the years. I wonder if you've had this question too. How could Jesus be welcomed into the city with such adulation and praise on Sunday and then crucified on Friday? Have you ever wondered, like, how, how did that change so fast? Why did popular opinion about him swing so quickly from adoration to hatred? This passage subtly points us to an answer to that question. This passage is an announcement. It's a revealing of Jesus as king. You know, if, if you've been to a wedding, there's an announcement in a wedding, right? You know that part, the end of the ceremony when the pastor says, and now it's my privilege to announce to you for the very first time, Tim and Esther Lee or whoever it, 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 it might be. And there's this moment there where, where there's this announcement to the, to the crowd, there's this introduction to the, these people that are ecstatic to, to, to receive and rejoice with, with this couple. And today's passage is like that moment in the sense that this is an announcement, not of a married couple, it's the announcement of a king. John 12, 12 to 16 is the public announcement that Jesus is king. There are, as you probably know, there are four gospels and all the gospels tell the same story about Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, but they tell it from slightly different angles as viewed by each author. And this is one of those passages and, and one of those moments that appears in all four of the Gospels. And if you read through those Gospels, you'll see that up to this point, Jesus has scrupulously avoided letting the crowds get any momentum in announcing him as king. But now he's coming into the city from the Mount of Olives in the most public way possible, being announced and adored by the crowd as the king of Israel. This is what's often referred to as Palm Sunday because of this particular passage highlighting the use of the palm branches. This is the time when Jesus is entering into the city and the crowd is announcing Jesus as king and Jesus is letting them do that. Why? And more importantly, as John subtly puts before us in this passage, if Jesus is king, what kind of king is he? What kind of king is Jesus? That's the driving question. Get that question in your mind. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write that question down. What kind of king is Jesus? We'll come to see that Jesus is the king that no one expected. The crowd wanted a king on their terms, but Jesus isn't their kind of king. He comes to reign on terms not set by the crowd, but on terms set by the will of the Father. The question that God is asking of you and me here is this. Do you know Jesus as king? And will you serve him on his terms? Will you receive him as the kind of king that the father wills for him to be? There are in this short passage actually three perspectives on Jesus 
as king. We'll get the perspective of the crowd, the perspective of Jesus, and the perspective of John. So I'm going to walk through the passage in, in, in those three perspectives, giving them to you as questions. So question number one is, how does the crowd announce Jesus as king? Look back in your text with me, please. Look at verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So try to see this scene. Try to get this in your mind. Try to, try to envision this. There's this large crowd here. And for good reason, people have traveled from all over to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It's one of the annual festivals that Jewish people would celebrate coming to Jerusalem every year, and Jewish people are still celebrating Passover, uh, even uh, up to this day, the Passover celebration this year began last night. Passover is the time to remember how God brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt. On the night of Passover, the angel of death went through the land of Egypt, killing every firstborn son. But that angel passed over the houses, the homes of the people who had blood from a lamb on the doorpost of their house. They were protected. They, the angel passed over those houses. Now this Passover was the birth of the nation in many ways, and it became, by God's instruction, the beginning of their calendar year. It was marked by the Passover celebration. And then every year the people were to gather together in, Jer in Jerusalem to remember and celebrate the Passover. The historian Josephus records that one of these Passovers in these times, he says there were 2.7 million people in the city. Now, even if he's way off, you can still imagine that there were hundreds and hundreds of th and thousands of, of, of people gathered together to celebrate Passover. And the crowd, the great crowd, was looking for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Just a, Lazarus' home was just a few miles from Jerusalem. And he'd raised Lazarus from the dead, and the word was out that Jesus was coming to the city. And so when that word gets out, they don't wait for him to arrive. It says they go out to meet him with palm branches. So, so if you can imagine a crowd, like when they spot a celebrity at a, at a concert or at an airport, you imagine a, a crowd rushing to, to, to greet uh, someone and, and, and adore them. That's what's happening here. And they've got these palm branches. What's with the palm branches? What's the significance of the palm branches? Well, there are a couple of options here. Palms were used in the Feast of Tabernacles, which was one of those annual celebrations, but that was a completely different time of year. Probably not what's going on here. Historically, about 200 years before these events that we're looking at today, there was a, a revolt. Simon the Maccabee and his family drove the hated Syrians out of Jerusalem and restored it to Jewish rule. And when that happened, the Jewish people celebrated that event with music and palm branches. And the palm became a symbol for national pride. In fact, later it would be 
come uh, 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 a symbol that were on, on coins that the Jewish people were, were making. It became a symbol of national pride. Like you could imagine people waving an American flag today as a symbol of, of, of pride. Like, it, you know, they win uh, the, the, the gold medal in the Olympics and they play the Star Spangled Banner and wave, wave the flag. That's a, 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 that kind of symbol. Well, the palm was that kind of symbol for nationalistic hopes in occupied Israel. These are actually the events that are celebrated at Hanukkah. And so the triumphal entry is sort of this unexpected mashup of these two holidays of Passover and Hanukkah right together at the same time. The people are shouting, not just once, but the, 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 the grammar is continually shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, those were familiar words. If you were a Jewish person, as, as Matt uh, reminded us this, this morning, this, this idea of, of shouting Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that's right out of Psalm 118, and then they add something to it at the end. Psalm 118, verses 25a and 26a say, Save us, we pray, O Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's the Hosanna and the, and the blessing uh, that's, that's proclaimed here. What's going on in Psalm 118? Why would they have picked this psalm and these words for Jesus in this moment? Well, Psalm 118 was one of those psalms that everybody in Israel knew. They knew it by heart. It was sung every morning at the temple. It was sung every year as part of the Hallel, as part of the Passover uh, uh, celebration and, 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 and that Passover meal. Psalm 118 has a verse that's familiar to many of us. Verse 22 talks about a stone that the builders rejected that became the cornerstone. That's a verse that's later applied to Jesus, but it's a, in its original setting, Psalm 118 isn't initially about an individual, it's about the whole nation. It's about the, 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 the nation of Israel celebrating that the builders rejected them, but God chose them and put them in this exalted place. They moved from being rejected to being exalted. Rejected by nations, chosen by God. And then, having been exalted, there's this leader that leads this procession into the city, celebrating God's victory that God has saved. And so, the people bring those words to Jesus. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord to do what? To move us from rejected to chosen and exalted. I want you to see the crowd is signaling their expectations here. This is subtle, but we, we can get this from what, what John has given to us here. They're connecting Jesus as the deliverer in Psalm 118. They're adding an extra part. This even the king of Israel, that's not in Psalm 118. They're adding that on their own. They're proclaiming him as king. And then they've got these palm branches. So you put all that together and it's the crowd's way of saying, Welcome to the Maccabees 2.0. What do they think Jesus is coming to do? What do they want Jesus to do? They want a triumphant warrior to lead them from rejection to glory. To throw these barbarians out. Think about it. The city is full. It's full of of nationalists, of, of, the, of the people of Israel. They greatly outnumber the Romans. They've got a guy coming into the city who can raise the dead. How'd you like to have that guy on your team in a battle? 
Not only can he raise the dead, he can feed people with nothing. How'd you like to have that guy in charge of providing provisions for your army? Hosanna to the king of Israel. He's got the power to raise the dead. He's got the power to feed us. He's got the power to scatter those hated Romans. This was a proclamation, an announcement of a king who was there for triumph and victory and crushing the enemy and throwing those barbarians out. Now, they were right about part of it. He is a king, but he's not that kind of king. Not yet. We're in the now and the not yet of Jesus' kingship and kingdom. And he's not coming to overthrow the Romans. He's not coming to overthrow the, the military rulers. He is coming as a king. And so the second question is, how does Jesus announce himself as king? How does Jesus announce himself as king? Look at verse 14. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. We'll come back to that in just a second. But I, I, I want to remind you, if you haven't read the Gospel of John recently, G people proclaiming Jesus as Messiah or King in the Gospel of John, this wasn't the first time this happened. In fact, all the way back in chapter 1, when Nathaniel meets Jesus for the first time, he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. In chapter 6, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, they want to make him king, and he won't, do, he won't let them do that, and so he slips away. In chapter 11, in the events just before this, Martha, the, bro, the sister of the, uh, 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 of the man Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, says, I believe you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, coming into the world. So this isn't the first time Jesus is hearing people say these things, but it's the first time he's allowing these things to, gain, to gather momentum and he's, he's allowing these things to be proclaimed publicly about him. He's allowing this announcement to go forth. Jesus knows he's the king. What's changing here is that he knows that his hour has come and it's time for him to be glorified. It's time for him to accomplish what he's come to do. And what the crowd thinks he's come, what, what he's come to do and what he thinks he's come to do are two completely different things. Jesus isn't the king they expect. And he highlights this with one simple prophetic action. We just read it. Did you see it? You see what he does? He finds a young donkey. And he comes into the city on a donkey. Now, he's come into the city before. He's coming in from the east, from the Mount of Olives. It was a place that he and his disciples uh, hung, hung out in and, and would during the, this coming week. But this time, he's coming in, allowing a crowd to greet him and praise him. And as that happens, he chooses a donkey to carry him in. Why? This is a prophetic act. Sometimes the prophets in the Old Testament would, would do prophetic actions. This is a prophetic action. This is a decision and an action that has enormous significance. And it's easy for us here 2,000 years later to miss it. Just think about donkeys with me for a moment. We're not a, a, a lot, not a lot of farmers here. I don't know if there's any donkey owners here, but I think you probably know enough about donkeys to know this. They're not very glamorous animals, are they? Right? So... Let me try to give you an illustration. Imagine your team wins a championship and there's going to be a victory parade. 
If the, if the players have a choice between coming in, in, in Ferraris or mom's minivan, which do you think they'll take? Right? Not much of a choice there, right? So here's the deal. I think donkeys were the minivan of the ancient world. Right? These beat up old, like, loser cruisers. And Jesus picks not a war horse, not a great stallion. He picks a donkey. Now, it's true that sometimes kings did ride on donkeys, but not in moments like this. This wasn't a moment when the triumph had already occurred. This was a moment when the triumph needed to occur. When your capital city is occupied by these filthy Romans, you want a conquering king to come in with maximum show of force. Wouldn't this be the perfect time with all these patriots here, all these zealots here, for somebody to steal a Roman chariot and have Jesus come in with the swell of the crowd that could surely overwhelm these Romans. Wouldn't this be the time for that kind of entrance? And Jesus picks a donkey. Not a war horse. Not a chariot. This is so important. Jesus is signaling that he's a king, but he's not coming in like Simon the Maccabee. Simon the Maccabee had a brother whose nickname was Judah the Hammer. You see that, that sense of power overwhelming those Syrians and get them out of here? They wanted somebody like that, somebody to lead an armed revolt, somebody who could be the king who could conquer. And Jesus is a king who will conquer, but not that way. And so he picks a donkey because he's coming to conquer through suffering and to overcome through dying not the king they expect. He's the tip of the spear of a kingdom that's marked by humility. Oh, how different from the kingdoms of this world. He'll be glorified. Yes, he will. This is the hour of his glorification. How will he be glorified? By being lifted up on a cross. He'll cast out the evil ruler of this world. Yes, he will. How? By allowing nails to be driven into his hands and feet and hung on a cruel cross. He'll take away the sin of the world by becoming our Passover lamb. He'll shed his blood so that blood can be over the doorpost of our house, of our lives. And we can be protected from the righteous judgment of God and be delivered and brought into the promised land instead. Am I making too much of the significance of this donkey? Am I stretching this prophetic act beyond its significance? I don't think so. If you're not sure, go read chapter 13 and look and see the next prophetic act that Jesus does when he picks up a towel and he shows the leaders of his kingdom what leadership in his kingdom looks like. This is the only person in the crowd who knows how to solve the deepest problems of your lives and mine. There's only one person in this crowd who really knows what's happening and what's needed. It's not the disciples. It's not the Pharisees. 
It's not the Romans. It's not the crowd. Only Jesus knows what's needed. Jesus, see this. Can you see this? Can you hear this? Jesus announces himself as the king who comes humbly, riding a donkey, ready to die and liberate his people, not from Rome, no, from a power far greater, from sin and Satan and death. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. So, third perspective overlapping with this one is John's. How does John announce Jesus as king? I love what John does here. John, the author of this gospel, is one of the 12 disciples. He was there when this happened. Look what he says. Verse 14b. He says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just, and then John adds, just as it, is writ as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples, John's talking about himself here. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The way John tells the story gives us his perspective. What was not clear to John and the crowd in the moment became clear after Jesus was glorified. When was that? It was after Jesus suffered and died and rose again. Jesus is the king who triumphs through suffering. Get that. He conquers how? By dying, being rejected. Remember the question we started with? How could he be welcomed into the city with such praise on Sunday and then crucified at the cry of the crowd on Friday? How could they announce Jesus as king on Sunday and then on Friday insist we have no king but Caesar? How can Jesus come into the city from the Mount of Olives on Sunday to Hosanna's and then come in again on Thursday night under cover of darkness and arrested? How can the triumphal entry turn into the disgraceful and shameful entry? How can this happen? I believe the answer is this. I believe what John is signaling to us here is this. When Jesus does not dial up a revolt against the Romans... The religious leaders already want him to be killed and now the people are ready to go along with this because he's not the king they want. Psalm 118 actually turns out to be the perfect psalm to go to. He, Jesus, is the stone the builders rejected. And this is the moment of his rejection. Jesus comes as the suffering servant. Jesus comes as the Passover lamb. The people want Judah the hammer riding a war horse. Jesus comes as the prince of peace riding a donkey. Behold your king. After Jesus dies and rises, after the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, with the help of the Spirit's work, John understands that when Jesus sits on that donkey, he's aligning himself with Zechariah 9.9. John gives it to us in brief. I want to give you the whole verse. Zechariah 9.9 was a 
prophecy about a coming king. Listen to what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he. Sound like anybody you know? Right? Listen to what it says. Humble. They knew this verse. They knew the impact of him sitting on that donkey. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus was not the king they wanted, but he is the king they needed. He doesn't do the will of the people, and thank God, because he couldn't bring the kind of salvation that people like you and me need if he did the will of the people. So instead, he does the will of the Father, and for that reason, we sing, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Amen? That's our king. What kind of a king is Jesus? Is he the king you expect? Is he the king you want? The triumph is coming. The overwhelming show of force is coming. Jesus, you read Revelation, you find him on a war horse. He does come back in power, but not yet. The kingdom is now, and the kingdom is not yet. And we're in the now of that kingdom. And our king comes into the city, humble, riding a donkey, and bringing salvation with him. So I ask you this morning, is he your king? Have you bowed the knee, humbled yourself, turned away from you being the king of your own life, and called on him to be your king? If you will, he will bring salvation to you. And if he is your king, just a few thoughts for how to respond to this. If he is your king, hey, greet him with some hosannas. I want to encourage you, carve out some time this week to sing, to shout, to lift your voice, and praise your king. Make some space for that in your week this week. I want to encourage you to use this week to, to meditate on the events of Jesus' passion, his suffering, his humiliation, his death and resurrection. We're going to be back in John chapter 12 at our Good Friday service. We're going to be in John chapter 20 next Sunday for our Easter service. Justin Pearson's going to be preaching that sermon. I want to encourage you, read John 12, John 13, John 18, 19, 20. Meditate on these things. Chew on these things. Ponder. Try to picture and see the events. Jesus coming into the city and all the events that spill forth through that week leading to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. just want to encourage you, find some time in your week to, to chew on these things, to meditate on these things, to pray over these things, to let these things work into your heart. The, the calendar can be a gift to you this week to get a fresh vision and view of your king, humble, riding on a donkey. And if the king is humble, well, that says something about his kingdom, doesn't it? If the king is humble, well, surely the people of his kingdom would be humble too, wouldn't they? So if Jesus could enter Jerusalem humbly, 
riding a donkey. I wonder if we could enter our week that way too. Humble, willing to suffer, committed to the glory of God and doing the will of the Father. What would our week look like? I wonder what it would look like this week if we could enter every conversation humbly, empowered by the Spirit of Jesus. What would it look like if you could enter every conflict you have or every meeting you have in the manner of your king? Every day that you rise into this week, what if you could enter into that day empowered by the Spirit, humbly like your king? Meek, gentle, fiercely committed to doing the will of the Father, no matter what the crowd does. May God give us grace to be a people like our King, humble, gentle, committed to the will of the Father. What kind of a King is Jesus? He's a humble King, riding on a donkey, righteous and having salvation. Isn't that good news? Isn't that great news? Wouldn't you love to sing one more song to our King? Let's do that together. I would love to sing once more this morning to our King. So the band's going to come up. Please stand with me.